0: frame this PowerPoint slide up here, and you're probably going to recognize it. This is our D-squared slide that we have used, and we have studied through some material called D-squared the last seven weeks. It's based on a book by a guy named Phil McKinney. And as a church, if you're visiting with us today or you've missed some, I'll just kind of fill you in quickly. We've studied through this. I've preached through it. Uh, One Sunday, Aaron Partlow, our youth minister, preached on it. Last Sunday, one of our elders, Leonard Riley, preached on chapter 7. So we kind of went chapter by chapter in the sermon series, but also we've studied it in our connect groups. The connect group leaders had the books to read. Like we, we've had videos on YouTube that you could follow. We spent a lot of time in this D-squared series. And now next Sunday, the first Sunday in June for the summer, I'm planning on preaching through Revelation. Get excited about that. Now I'm going to backtrack a little, and I'm just going to focus on the first three chapters of Revelation, so calm down a little bit. It's just going to focus on the seven letters to the seven churches in Asia, but we'll get into a little bit of Revelation stuff, and that'll be fun. It'll be interesting. So this week, Memorial Day weekend, school's out, I... Imagine that we would have several people traveling or maybe some visitors here. So we're kind of a, in one of those holiday times where we're in between sermon series. But as I look back over the material, over the book, over everything that we've studied through D Squared the last seven weeks, I realize there's a few things that I didn't get to say. There was a few things that I did not get to cover. So today is kind of a bonus chapter or a bonus track. I remember growing up, I used to always go to Hastings. And before you could get music on YouTube or Spotify or Pandora or however you get your music today, young people may not know about this, but we used to have to go to stores and buy CDs. Anybody remember that? So you would buy a CD from a band and you would only get their songs, and if they had 10 songs, you got 10 songs. But occasionally they would give a bonus track that wasn't numbered. So that's the way I'm viewing this sermon today. Is this kind of like a bonus track to the D squared series? And we're using Matthew 13 as our guide. So I'm going to go ahead and jump into Matthew 13, verse 1 and 2 to kind of set up the scene for this story, this text today. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and he sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there. Uh, The whole crowd stood on the beach. Let's pause on that. Specifically, verse 2. Notice the crowd. There's this huge crowd that is gathered around Jesus, and it's such a big crowd that he has to get into a boat to begin teaching. If you pay attention to the crowd in the Gospels, it will tell you something. It seems like such a minor detail, but the crowd actually shows us something about discipleship. So many years ago, uh, I was leading a discussion at a small group, and we were talking about the relationship that Jesus had with different groups of people, and one of the topics was Jesus and the crowd. And we looked throughout the Gospels at how often a large crowd gathered around Jesus, and one of the discussion questions in that small group was, what's the largest crowd, what's the biggest crowd that you have ever been in? And we had a fun discussion that day, and I imagine if we had a small group right here having a discussion, we could have a fun discussion about the largest crowd that you've ever been in. But this was my answer to that question. This is myself. I don't know if you recognize me. I've gained a little bit of weight and some beard and gray hairs, and I look a lot different. But that was me from 2009, and that's Jessica. This was before we were married, before we were engaged, and I took her on the greatest date that she had ever been on in her life, I took her to WrestleMania 25 in Houston, Texas. And you're laughing, but it worked because she wound up marrying me that year. And that's an awesome date to go on, by the way. And at that point in my life, that was the largest crowd that i had ever been in, over 70,000 people. So you think it's funny, but over 70,000 people show up for WrestleMania And that's a big crowd in Houston, Texas, hot and humid. You're standing outside trying to go through the gate, and there's all these people around you. You get to your seat, and you're kind of crammed in these little seats. You have to go to the bathroom or concession stands. There's people everywhere. That's a large crowd. And we think about being in a big crowd, maybe like you see in this picture. And I guess if I were to ask you individually, how many of you hate being in a crowd? I bet, Yeah, I already see some head nods going on. I bet several of you would say, yeah, I hate being in large crowds. And for me, the crowds don't bother me. What bothers me is when it's hot and I'm sweaty and other people are sweaty. That just grosses me out. Just give me some space, right? And when you're in a large crowd, you don't really have any space. So in the Gospels here, we see that Jesus is surrounded by crowds. And I think about us as human beings and and why do we suffer through crowds if they're so inconvenient? We go to sporting events. I thought of this example last night, but we have several people that are big Aggie fans, and I know some of you will go to a college station during football season, and you will suffer through a game with all these people, hundreds of thousands of people. I don't know how many that stadium could hold. Why do you do that? Why do you go to a concert? If you love a band, you love a group, and you're willing to go out of your way to make the drive, to pay for the parking and pay for the ticking and ticket and suffer through the crowd, Like, why do we do that? Why do we suffer through the inconveniences of crowds? My only answer is maybe it's because we're passionate and there's a reason why we want to be there. We want to get our money's worth. We feel passionate about what it is that we're going to see. And because of that, we're willing to suffer. And I kind of see a little bit of that in... Matthew 13 and throughout the Gospels is Jesus has these crowds around him. If you wanted to dive a little deeper into this, you could type in the crowd. and Go to BibleGateway.com, type in the crowd, and you'll see how often Jesus was surrounded by a crowd. In fact, I had several verses that I was going to share with you and talk about them, but it would take too long to set up each scene. But all throughout Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has these crowds around him. And it's interesting because Jesus never sought the crowds out. It's not like Jesus told his disciples, Hey, go find as many people as possible and bring them to me. i got something I want to teach. We never see Jesus trying to gather a big crowd. They come to him. And why not? They've heard these rumors. They've heard stories. There's this great rabbi who is, has these radical new teachings Let's go hear him. Let's go hear what he has to say. He's teaching with authority. Or maybe people wanted to come be around Jesus, obviously, because he performed signs and miracles. He was healing people. He was casting out demons. Maybe they wanted to watch those signs, or maybe they wanted to participate in them. Maybe people were in the crowds because they were hoping to be healed by Jesus. Probably various reasons why people came to the crowds. And there's nothing wrong with being in the crowd at face value. If I was around in the first century, I probably would be in the crowd also. I'd probably want to see Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with being in the crowd, but we also know that there can be something superficial about it. It is very possible to go be a part of a very large crowd and not be fully committed. Just by being in the crowd doesn't mean that you're committed. It doesn't mean that you're all in, and it doesn't even necessarily mean that you're passionate about it. So, Jesus has these large crowds, but out of everybody that's in the crowd, how many of them are walking away with their lives changed and they are committed to Jesus? So, in this book we've studied, D squared, Phil McKinney points out this, and I'm going to share this quote. He says, There is a marked difference between believing that Jesus saves you, which he calls the crowd, and truly following him, which is a disciple. Meaning that just because you're in the crowd doesn't make you a committed follower, committed disciple of Jesus. So you have this large crowd that's gathered around him in Matthew 13. And I'm going to pick up in verse 3 and just, I'm going to read to you what Jesus teaches this large crowd while he's in the boat. And he told them many things in parables saying, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen." Or some translations say, let anyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. What do you do when you have your biggest crowd that has shown up to hear you preach? What do you teach on? Jesus has one of his largest crowds, so much so he has to get in this boat. And what does he teach? Well, he teaches parables. Parables. Out of all the things that he could have taught, he teaches them these riddles. In Hebrew, it's this word, "mashal." It's this story that he'll tell that has a deeper meaning to it. And most of the time in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't give us the explanation of what he means by the parable. He's not trying to emotionally manipulate this crowd. It's not like Jesus said, Oh man, we got a big crowd today. We need to make sure we bring it. We need to make sure that we tell our best stories. We need to make sure that we really win the crowd over. That was not his approach. Instead, the largest crowd he has, and he starts teaching him parables. Jesus didn't cater to the crowds. Jesus wasn't swayed by the crowds. And that's one of the things, one of the many things that I admire about Jesus. Because I think about myself and I think about so many people. When there is a large crowd, you can feed off the energy of the crowd, and the crowd can kind of turn on you and change, and they laugh at certain things. And it's easy to start to change your demeanor or your message based on the crowd, but Jesus never did that. It didn't matter if it was a huge crowd like we see here in Matthew 13 or if he's just talking to his disciples privately. The message was always the same. Jesus was not swayed by the crowds. And he tells them this parable. Traditionally, this parable is known as the parable of the sower. But I put this question up here, what do we call this parable? Well, we could call it the parable of the sower, but you might have also heard it called before the parable of the soils. I like both titles, and the title's not that important, but there's really kind of a double meaning. It's like a two-sided coin if you look at this parable and how we understand it today. is One way of looking at this parable is the soil. It's the parable of the four soils, and we are soil. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, what he means by this parable is you and I, we are a certain type of soil. And without reading all of Matthew 13 and getting into all the details, we're going to skip down to verse 18 because what we get here is a rare explanation of what the parable actually means. Most of the time, he doesn't tell us what the parables mean. We're just kind of left up to our interpretation. And our interpretations can be kind of wild. But here, Jesus and Mark tells us it's private with his disciples. He gives them the explanation. And then we, the readers, were in on the explanation. So, the explanation of the parable here in verse 18 through 23, he says this, Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. So the first type of soil, obviously, it's the path. It's when, when he tells the parable, the farmer sows the seed, the bird comes and eats it up. Well, Jesus says that represents the type of person that may hear the message, but it never takes root in their heart. The evil one, Satan, comes and snatches it away. So this type of soil, no disciple is made. Second type, verse 20, as for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So this is about the receptivity of the kingdom message Jesus is preaching. And this type of person, there is lots of joy and excitement. Verse 21, yet such a person has no root, endures only for a little while, and when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. So the second type is the type of seed, the type of soil the seed falls on the rocks. And just like the parable tells, it grows up quickly, but it has no root. So when the sun hits it, it just withers away. Jesus said, this is the type of person that receives the message with joy, yet when life gets tough, when trouble or persecution comes, they're gone. You've Been in ministry long enough, in a non-judgmental way, you will know people like this. An initial level of excitement, I'm ready to change my life, be ready to be baptized into Christ, or I'm ready to, you know, repent or whatever, turn around, and there's just this huge push towards Jesus. But then a few weeks, a few months go by, and where are they? That excitement kind of calms down. Jesus is saying some people will respond to the message in that way. And then the third type, he says in verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, But the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. The thorns. This, to me, seems like the type of person that hears the message and believes. Maybe they even believe with all their heart, but they're not producing fruit for the kingdom of God. Why? Because they're too distracted. There's too much to worry about. There's too much going on in life. And then money, like the appeal to make money and to live life and all the worry that comes with that, it chokes it out. So they're not producing fruit. And I will be honest with you, if you're honest with me, that I would imagine a majority of people who have been Christians for a while in this room would probably admit that's the type of soil I am most of the time. In fact, I've taught classes on this parable before, and I've asked people, what type of soil are you? And people will admit, I think I'm the thorns. Because I believe, and I'm here, and I want to believe, I want to care, but the kingdom of God is not the number one priority in my life. There's a lot of other things that I worry about. So the third type is those that fall on the thorns, and then the fourth is obviously the good soil. In verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and beyond that, who indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So not everybody is going to bear the same amount of fruit in their life, but these are the people who receive it, understand it, get the message, and the kingdom of God is number one priority in their life, and they begin to produce fruit in the lives of others. So these are the four types of soil that Jesus tells and what I would call the parable of the soils, and we are soil. So one way of looking at this parable is to ask this question, what type of soil are you? If you're being honest with yourself, if you're doing some reflection, and I think that's what Jesus is wanting us to do, I think that's what Jesus is wanting that crowd to do that is gathered around him, is to think about their own life and be honest, not looking at everybody else, but what type of soil are you? And there's probably a good chance that we fluctuate. It's not like you're just one type of soil and you stay that way your entire life. You know, maybe initially you're like the soil on the path and those seeds need to keep being sown into your heart and your mind or eventually you will respond. Or maybe you can identify with the one on the rocks and you, you initially were a solid follower of Jesus and like you really cared But man, life got busy, you got distracted, and you kind of fell away, and maybe you showed back up today, or you're listening, and you're like, you know what? The seed on the soil, the rocks, like that describes me. Or maybe the thorns, like I said, probably a majority of us, that's the type of soil we are, and maybe we fluctuate between that and good soil. And you can think about different seasons of life that you've been in and the different times where maybe you have been good soil. But the one way of looking at this parable is to examine your own life and see where you're at. So as we studied through this, this book called D Squared, in chapter 1, if you read the book, towards the end of chapter 1, Phil McKinney mentions an old hymn. The song is called, None of Self and All of Thee. Anybody remember this song? If you've been in Churches of Christ for a long time, you probably remember the song or you're familiar with it or judging by your Looks at me, you don't know what it is, so Tony, good luck here in just a second. But Tony is about to lead us in this old hymn. And what this song does, I think it's a very interesting song. It kind of takes us on a progression of someone's spiritual journey. Like each verse and line takes you through the progression of how we respond to Jesus. And I've asked Tony to lead us in the song. It's not our invitation song, so don't get excited just yet. But we are going to sing this as just kind of a part of this sermon. And as you sing the song, I want you to think about what type of soil you are and where you're at at your life at this point as we sing this song. And I was thinking about it yesterday. I've actually known this was coming for several weeks. And I thought, you know, this song, even though it's in our hymns, our hymn book, our hymnal, It's not really a song of worship or praise. It's really more of a song of either proclamation or confession. So some of the lines in this song, as we sing it, it's almost like we're confessing, this is where I'm at. And I'm ashamed to say it, but I confess this is where I'm at. Or as we progress in the song and you get to the point where you can say, none of self and all of Christ, it's a proclamation. It may not necessarily be true of your life when you sing that part. It may not be true of my life, but we sing it anyways because we believe that's what we're becoming. It's what's called a proleptic statement. It means it hasn't happened yet, but we believe it will happen. So we're going to sing this song. I want you to think about what type of soul you are, and then I'll come back up and have a few more words to say. So Tony, come on up. Let's
1: sing. Oh, the bitter pain and sorrow that that a time time could ever be. When when I proudly said to Jesus, all of self and none of thee. All of self and none of thee. All of self and none of thee. When I I proudly to, to Jesus, Jesus all of self and, and none, none of, of thee. thee yet he, he found, found me I beheld he him bleeding on the accursed, accursed tree and my and wistful heart said Lord, faintly son of self and some of thee some of self and some and of thee some, some of self. Some of thee, and And my wistful heart heart said faintly, Some of self, and some of of thee. thee. Day Day by day, his tender tender mercy, healing, helping, full, and free, brought me lower lower while I whispered, whispered, Less less of self, and more of thee. thee. Less of self and more of Thee. Less of self and more of Thee. Brought me lower while I whispered, Less of self and more of Thee. Higher than the highest heavens, Deeper than the deepest sea, Lord, thy love at last has conquered None none of of self and all of thee None of self and all of thee None of self and all of thee Lord, thy love at last has conquered None of self and all of thee
0: Thank you, Tony, for leading us in that song. Did it sound familiar once we started singing it? Yeah, some of you maybe you recognized it. Uh, that last line, when it's none of self and all of thee, none of self and all of Christ, is like a proclamation that we have completely died to ourselves and our number one focus in life is the kingdom of God. It's all about Jesus. Well, I don't know too many people who can really, truly. Say that and claim it, and that their lives to back it up as true, and in fact, if somebody is humble, they probably wouldn't actually say that about themselves. This does kind of describe our our journey is maybe you can find yourself in these different places, like part of your life you're focused on yourself, mostly about yourself but but there is some of Jesus, like we throw a little god on top, and as you progress through your spiritual journey maybe it's less about yourself and more about focusing on Jesus and the kingdom message, and then someday if we can fully die to ourselves, none of self and all of thee, well, you can kind of see where maybe the different types of soil that Jesus talks about in this parable relates to the verses and the lines in this song. What type of soil are you? Where are you at in your spiritual journey? This parable causes you to reflect on that, but like I mentioned, it's like a two-sided coin. So it's not just about what type of soil are you, but it's also about us being sowers. So we are soil, that's what this parable teaches us, and we are sowers. Now originally when Jesus taught this parable, he's not saying, hey, all of you are sowers, He is the sower sowing the seed. He is bringing the message. But as you keep reading in the New Testament, and something we focused a lot on this sermon series, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28 is that Jesus calls us all to be disciple makers. And in that sense, we're partnering with Jesus as being that farmer, that sower, that's sowing seeds. If you look back at the beginning of Matthew 13 when Jesus tells this parable, you have this farmer just throwing seed everywhere. And one question that I have is, is this not a reckless farmer, the story that Jesus tells this guy? is not like he went out and said, okay, here's good soil. I'm going to save my good seed for this soil. Instead, you kind of have this picture of this farmer just tossing seed everywhere. path rocks, thorns, good soil. What well, doesn't matter. He's just throwing the seed. Is he a bad farmer? Well, as Dr. Jared Looney was with us about three years ago, did some disciple-making training, one of the things that he pointed out that I have loved that actually has been very helpful to me is that this parable is a model for evangelism. That it's not that this guy's a bad farmer, but that he sowed seed indiscriminately. He had quality seed to give And he gave quality seed to everyone, to every type of soil. There was no predetermined or prejudged thoughts about how people would respond. And we can learn a lesson from this parable from this farmer. It's not up to us to decide whether or not somebody has good soil. If you do, you're mistaken. Keep reading the parables in Matthew 13, and you'll see. Don't pull the weeds up with the wheat because you might accidentally pull some weed up. That's a later parable that Jesus will tell in Matthew 13. Sometimes we can look at somebody and say this person will never be a follower of Jesus or this person is not serious and you never know, you never know what God can do through people. We plant, we water, but as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3.6, it's God who gives the growth. So what's our responsibility as sowers? Our responsibility is not to predetermine or prejudge how somebody will respond to Jesus. Our responsibility is to sow quality seeds, to be sowers, to be seed planters for the kingdom of God. That is what we're responsible for. God will do the rest. God will provide the growth. So One of the examples I thought of was our church road sign that's just right out here. This is a picture that Robin Carroll took last year July of 2020. And out of the thousands of examples I could use for this parable and us being sower's seed planters, and I really literally could talk about this for 40 more minutes but I'm not going to. I'm going to keep it short. So this is the example I landed on is you think about this road sign. Sometimes I meet people in town And when I tell them, I'm the preacher at the Pine Tree Church of Christ, occasionally people will respond with, oh, you're the church with the road sign. Anybody else ever got that before? Like people drive down Dundee Road and they notice our sign. It's kind of old school. It's not one of these electronic signs. And people like to read it. And there's probably no way of knowing how many hundreds and hundreds of people drive down Dundee Road every day and read this sign, both sides of it. And then they look forward to maybe a few weeks later when the sign has changed and there's something new on there. So that's kind of what we're known for. But I view this sign as a great example of seed planting. The sign sows seeds indiscriminately, right, just like the farmer in the parable. Anybody that drives by, no matter what kind of car you drive, no matter what your education level is, what your race is, what your background is, everybody's going to get a chance to read that sign. So all day long as people drive by, there's seeds that are planted in the hearts and the minds of people. In fact, this sign, this picture, it says, love is the capacity to put up with one another. Okay, so you drive by, you read that, you might think, wait a minute, what, do, what does that mean? Is that a definition of love? That's actually something that I said in a sermon July 5th, 2020. I was preaching Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, and I was describing what love means. And uh, Sean Carroll, this is a picture of Sean up hard work. Sean, where are you at? I, I saw you earlier. Uh, he's right back there. Sean putting the sign together. So he put a quote from my sermon on this sign. And there's a little bit more explanation to it, but, there, you know, you can only put so much on that sign. Well, a few weeks later, I had somebody email me. They emailed the church, and it was forwarded to me. They said, okay, I drive by every day, and I love reading you signs, and I keep reading this definition for love you have up there, and I got to ask, what does that mean? So I had a chance to respond back and explain, and we had this email exchange back and forth, and that sign, that seed-planting sign, provided me an opportunity to share the love of Jesus with some stranger that I had never met. Even recently, somebody told me as they were leaving our parking lot one day that they were in one of the lowest points in their life, and they looked up at the church sign And there was a Bible verse on the sign for that particular two-week period, and it was like exactly what they needed to hear at that moment. They felt like God was speaking to them through the church sign. So I use our church road sign, and I appreciate the guys who get up there and change it and put in the work to do that. And I'm not going to try to list names because I don't want to leave anybody out. And I think about this parable, think about our church road sign, and I think we should all be like that like our church road sign. Is it everybody that we come into contact with, our neighborhood, at the grocery store, at work, at school, whatever it may be, we have opportunities to sow gospel seeds, quality seeds. We have opportunities to be seed planters. So everybody that comes in contact with us, everybody that passes by us, it is an opportunity to plant seeds, to lead somebody closer to Jesus. You look at this parable, and we are sowers. And our responsibility, our goal should be to do that, to sow quality gospel seeds to anyone and everyone that we come into contact with. You look at this parable, and the way that I can summarize it is that we are soil, self-reflection, but we are also sowers. It's cyclical. And in a way, this is D-squared. The idea of D-squared that we've talked about the last two months is we are always being discipled and we're always discipling someone. Well, this is just another way of saying that. We are soil. We're going to soak in the message of Jesus and it's either going to take root into our hearts and then it begins to produce fruit or we're going to reject it or allow it to be snatched away or allow it to be choked out by the thorns. We might be the type of soil that says, yes, Some of Jesus, but still some of me, or we might be the type of soil that gets to the point and says, all of Christ and none of me. We might be the type of soil that's in the crowd, that wants to see a show, that wants to see a miracle, that wants to see something cool happen, or maybe hear a good lesson from Jesus, and then then you leave when the crowd's dispersed and you go about your life unchanged. Or maybe you're the type of soil that you go to the crowd. You hear the message. You have your eyes locked in on Jesus. And when the crowd leaves, you keep pressing forward towards Jesus. What type of soil are you? And at the same time, as we grow, as God continues to sow these seeds deep within us, as we're rooted and established in love. While that's happening, we're also sowing seeds. We're also making disciples, taking part in the Missio Dei and the mission of God. So where are you? Are you tired of being choked out by the thorns, by the worries of this life, by the appeal of wealth, and you know that is exactly where you are? Are you ready to be good soil? I don't know where you're at in your life today. But as we wrap this sermon series up, as we wrap this sermon up, I challenge you to go be sowers. I challenge you to go be disciple makers. But before we leave these room, this room and go about our lives and, and think about how we can plant seeds, before we leave, if you're in a place today where you need to be prayed for, where you need to talk with one of our elders, and believe me, that happens a lot. I say that, maybe you don't actually see it, but our elders are available to you, and quite often there's a conversation that leads to another conversation that happens right here on Sunday mornings. If you're at that place, take that next step forward. Go find one of our shepherds. One will be up front if you want to come up here, and I'll be up front. Uh, Some will be scattered around the room or in the back. You can go talk with them privately if you need to and be prayed for or set up a time to talk if that's what you need today. If you're ready to become that good soil and be baptized into Christ, we have a baptistry right here behind me. We would love to have that conversation with you today or participate in your baptism. If that's where you're at, You can come up front and talk with us today. We're going to sing another song. This is what we call the invitation song, and this is an opportunity for you to respond if you need to. I want to invite you to stand while we continue to sing. As the
1: deer pants for the water, so my soul longs
0: after you.